Hello and welcome to Future Thinking with Stylus. I'm your host, Christian Ward, Head of Media and Marketing at Stylus. Today is a South by Southwest special. The Tech Film and Music Festival in Austin, Texas continues to be a fantastic forum for innovation across all industries. And this year, as always, Stylus was there to seek out the most exciting trends and insights. Julia Ehrens, Stylus's Editor of Media and Marketing, joins us to discuss her findings. And we're also joined by Neil Davidson, MD of Hey Human, which is a branding agency with a particular focus on neuromarketing. And Neil will be discussing research Hey Human launched at South by Southwest this year. So first of all, Julia, you were telling me earlier that there were there's a particular focus this year on how we tackle the polarization of discourse and break out of our filter bubbles. Yeah, I mean, you know, for lack of a less nerdy and less cliche comparison, it's sort of like the light side of the force that's coming in now. <laughs> because I think we're all sort of aware that a lot of these automated content distribution has somewhat contributed to lots of problems we've been seeing in social spaces, particularly in around fake news. And lots of news organizations from the Atlantic to the Washington Post and Quartz have actually come together to now try and discuss how these same sort of targeting and personalization tools that are being used to maybe radicalize people could also be used to bring them together and sort of, you know, make them see the other side of the aisle in a bit more detail. And that's really interesting and hopefully a promising direction for the future. And I believe while you were at Austin, you spoke about this very subject with Emily Withrow, who's the director of the Bot Studio at uh, the tech and business blog Quartz. What we know is that stories and content in general is far more nuanced than that, right? It could be a sports story that's actually a a deep medical story about concussions. And, you know, it could be a personal drama because it could involve, you know, a family that's uh, recovering after an injury. And so our... um, you know, we can use machine learning to identify those types of stories and connections between stories that we didn't really think were obvious before um, and serve that content better to readers and also get them involved in content uh, in pieces of information that they um, are not aware that they will be interested in and serve those pieces up as well. Now, I think this is an interesting approach because, uh, and this is something we discuss a lot at Stylus, it forces people out of their comfort zones and there's a value in leaning into that sort of discomfort, don't you think? Oh yeah, there absolutely is. I mean, um, on top of Quartz's experiments and sort of tailoring content more towards personal interest and then maybe allowing people to shift their perspective a bit. Other outlets like the Washington Post have for a couple of years now had things like what they call their counterpoint feature, which in the comment section recommends different viewpoints to the reader. And there's also the really interesting new startup based in San Francisco called Nowhere, as in K-N-O-W. And they um, use AI to troll coverage of different ongoing current events online. And then they accolade a right-leaning and a left-leaning perspective. And then they use their engines to try and write a neutral central position. And I think this is a really valuable application of AI, actually, because it uses the technology to help people filter what is very much clearly an age of just over-information and people are overwhelmed. And I think it's a really interesting approach to use machine learning to help us actually access this massive information and try and bring it down to a human level that lets us process all the information that's out there. So while you were at Austin, you spoke to Chloe Coulson, Associate Director of Foresight at Seymour Powell, about this very subject. Let's have a listen. I think that that's interesting in terms of uh, 
examining kind of what's the role of, of technology and big tech and its responsibilities on, on the decisions that we make. And I think points you were making there about um, breaking out of the echo chamber um, that I guess, you know, platforms like Facebook have been sort of, you like this, therefore you must like this content back, making us kind of re re-examine and think uh, what's the counterpoint to some of the things that, that we're being shown we break out and find these things. I think, yeah, creating those more divisive algorithms, I suppose. Um, oh, I like that. I like the idea of a divisive algorithm. I think there's something to be certain. I think I've got a panel coming up on that tomorrow. I have to check my notes on actually leaning into discomfort. Yes. And that maybe we have to face up to reality that we will be facing many problems from, you know, ecological to economical issues in the future. And possibly the world isn't meant to just be tailored to our every needs and comfort and we need to broaden our own horizons to educate ourselves and then help those around us and actually sit with discomfort. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, that ties into some of the things um, we've been hearing about in terms of creating a little bit of friction sometimes. Mm. Um, it gets you somewhere new. It doesn't mean, uh, you know, you have to live in this purely serene, for want of a better word, a utopian sort of um, dream. Actually, we need a little bit of friction to, 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 to inspire us and take us somewhere new. So, Julia, another interesting theme you picked up on was the issue of appreciation versus appropriation. So could you elaborate on what you mean by that? Yeah. And actually, in fact, this was the title of a really good session I saw, um, which included Chas Moore, who's the head of um, a local NGO for social justice in Austin. And they were talking a lot about the issues and the conflict between social appreciation and social appropriation. And we've seen a lot of fallout in commercial and brand communications over the last 18 months where brands just didn't get it right and have been cultural blind spots and just often a lack of awareness of messages and instances of commercial communication that can just be harmful to particular communities. And Charles quite rightly said that really what it comes down to is to just respect people's background and always look back on the context of a message. And he said that when things like the Gucci blackface sweater um, scandal that kind of dropped, what, two months ago now, happened, it just tells him that there weren't enough black women in the room who felt empowered and supported by their work environment to actually voice their concerns about these designs. And I think the key point here is to not sort of sit on this idea that, you know, people's opinions and expression is being over-policed, but it's actually more about opening the room and trying to create an environment where different perspective can be a part of the conversation because we don't live in a simple world and so there's no simple answers. Everything is complex and if you want to get to the complex solution, you need to have a certain diversity of minds in the room who talk about these issues and actually are willing to sit with the discomfort and trying to share and each other's experiences, which isn't always easy, And but that's the point, especially for privileged people like my white self. <laughs> so brands, it's time to get uncomfortable. I think that's the, the, the takeaway there. Now, Neil, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Um, you launched some really interesting research at South by Southwest about the influence of cognitive load on the success of advertising. Could you tell us about it? Yeah, I think for us uh, as an agency, what's really interesting is everybody wants to know what the secret sauce is on creativity, but people don't really think about what you and I might describe as complexity as one of the big things. So we looked at some great ads of the time, tested them using neuroscience uh, tech, and actually found out distinctiveness 
which we all talk about, motivation are really key. But the key difference between a great ad that people remembered and associated with the right brand and a not so great ad was cognitive load, i.e. not too simple, but also not too complex. Uh, and that you know, it's great that we can now use technology to actually see what's going on in our brains when ads actually connect. So cognitive load is something that I think everybody should be thinking more about in terms of the secret sauce. So how would a brand go about working with you to to figure out if what they're producing creatively is the right balance of cognitive load? Well, the simple uh, solution is testing work as you go. The other thing is I just don't think we think about it often enough as, you know, a lot of chat about things like key brand assets and uh, brand codes and things like that actually help with that piece. So it makes it more memorable. But I'd say to most people, start by knowing what your brand assets are, what the memory structures are that are already in people's brains about your brands, because then you can hit that cognitive load piece, but also be creative. So, you know, uh, people have been saying, we're saying advertising needs to be really simplistic. We're definitely not saying that. We, we're saying it just needs to be smarter, to be connective with people. It's interesting you mentioned brand codes there because I was at um, Adweek this month and Mark Ritson um, was stressing the need for using brand codes as much as possible. I mean, he was pushing this idea that uh, agencies hate using them because it sort of restricts, they think it restricts their creativity and it's a bit sort of dumb to be pushing this down people's throats. But he was like, you can't use codes enough as an advertiser because that's how you become memorable. Would you, would you agree with that? I uh, might shock you by saying 100%. <laughs> uh, I probably won't see it, say it in as, as sweary way as I know Mark Ritson probably said it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we talk about three R's in advertising in terms of using what we know about people's brains. And the first one is being recognised, and that is about tapping into brand and category codes. Because to us, it's kind of crazy not to. I think the danger is people think it's creativity by numbers or signs spoiling creativity. It doesn't. I can think of brands where we've discovered one of the less connective pieces of the brand code is the logo. But the colorways, the sounds, etc., and people's brains are more connective. So we might even be helping people with the why you don't need to make the logo bigger debate. Uh, yeah. Actually, there's more connective things about that brand, which I think Mark Ritson would call brand codes and in the category that you can tap into, but actually make more creative ads as well. Yeah, I mean, Mark was talking about the the colour yellow for Verve Clico being the key to their to their brand code, and he was saying that he did a workshop with them, um, and uh, he asked them what they would like to change about their their work, and they all said we'd like to get away from the colour yellow because we're sick of it. And he was like, "You idiots! You know that's the thing that everybody knows about you, and will, will makes you memorable yeah. and distinctive." Well, think about a great advertiser like Guinness. You know, I, I don't think they'll be saying we need to walk away from black and white <laughs> very soon. You know, and I think everybody has. Some of that, not all of it, but I think a lot more brands have it than they think they have. And I think there's a real danger. Clients and agencies will get bored of stuff almost before it's gone out. Uh, but this, this, to me, is the gold dust, and I think it's the stuff that we're all going to be uh, leaning on much more in the future. Could we go into some of the nitty-gritty about what mm -hmm. actually goes on? In, I mean, what, what, what is it in the brain that you're, that you're tracking? What's happening when people are, are getting too overloaded cognitively? Well, people are just shutting down. You know, it goes back to, uh, you know, the whole system one, system two piece, thinking fast, thinking slow. 
I always say, you know, for layman's, just remember our brain is the the part of our whole body that uses up the most energy. So it's tries to be energy efficient. We're all lazy in terms of using brain power. So when something's too much like hard work, we just move on to the the next thing. And that the same is true for advertising. We just don't want to admit it sometimes. So how do you think digital technology, especially immersive digital technology like augmented reality and, and virtual reality, will evolve the way that our brains work in the future? And will it, will it change the way that marketers need to think about how they engage people? Yeah, um, uh, yeah I, I love... Uh, I personally push back quite hard. Our brains aren't changing. Some of our behaviours around our brains are changing. Uh, we did quite a lot of work of this at the start. I think it uh, gives uh, brands a chance to be more connective. Still saying our, bra- our brains will go towards more connective pieces, more experiential pieces. But I kind of go AR, VR, yes, definitely. But don't forget things like concerts and Fortnite and things like that, because I think that's where experiential is going to move as well. So AR, VR great uh, to a certain degree but the only challenge is sometimes scale uh, so I think there's just other ways we, we talk about one of the other R's is just relevance so it's thinking about that context piece and sometimes that can be much more connective than sticking something on the front of your head Right, I agree So both of you, what, um, what were some of the other key trends that you took away from South by in terms of of where we're heading in the future of media and marketing innovation. Julia, what what about you? I mean, there has been, and this is something that kind of crops up on every industry event, including at Wigo, the last years that I've been doing this wonderful job. That sounded sarcastic, it didn't mean to. is this it's a, this time around it seems a genuine sense for people to actually want to be agents of change within the industry there's i think there's an awareness of the wider systemic damage that could happen if we don't pay attention to what we actually do with the communication and distribution systems we have and i guess that was underlined by the which felt like a strong presence of american political figures i mean there's always been the odd barack obama showing up and then you've got a queue throughout the entire town but lots of politicians were kind of gearing up for their 2020 races by showing up in austin and i think what's interesting for brands and entertainment companies across the board is this sense that um, which is something that was actually vocalized by Corey Kenner, who's the uh, senior director of global communications with Patagonia, is that brand positioning isn't necessarily about politics. It's about advocacy, which, yes, if you want to look at it cynically, it could be just a bit of marketing swing to not commit to either end. But I think when we're actually talking about broader, massive issues like global warming and trying to actually pivot to a more sustainable economy, I think... What's interesting is that everybody's beginning to think in sense of policy, so long-term planning. So it's not just about chasing the next quarter's income, but actually thinking about what actions today may mean for a sustained future. And I think that's really interesting. There's a sort of thoughtfulness creeping into the industry that I haven't previously picked up, and that's promising, hopefully. And Neil, what um, what did you see that really blew your mind, cognitively yeah. speaking? <laughs> uh, I think the the thing that I always see there is the uh, you know the 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 point about keeping human in technology and using technology for the better of people and all that good stuff. But by the same token, I, I find that uh, 
cheer, cheered me up no end. The, the best presentation there for me was uh, an ex-lead singer of a post-punk band, uh, David Byrne from Talking Heads, was brilliant. And he was talking about reasons to be cheerful. Uh, and, uh, you know, he just made it in the most charming way how actually... We can all be bleak about the future, but actually, if you look at technology through the light, right lens and with the right people, it can do good stuff. And I got another chance to see true stories, which I haven't seen since 1987, so <laughs> that can't be bad. Yeah, it's a real shame that all of us in this industry can't be as smart as uh, David Byrne. But there we go. Um, uh, so I think the takeaways from this is that um, uh, you've start, got to start getting your consumers into more uncomfortable places um, to inspire different kinds of thinking, but not in a way that's cognitively overloading. Um, really fascinating stuff, and I, uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll all be back at South by next year for more, for more of this. Thanks to my guests, Julia Ahrens and Neil Davidson, and thanks to you for listening. I hope you'll join us next time for more Future Thinking from Stylus. You've been listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. And if you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to Future Thinking in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to hear new episodes as soon as they're available. 